0: This is Double Truck Stories, the home for some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Justin Ellis. Texas is football country, plain and simple. But high school football comes in all kinds of configurations across the state. Consider the town of Harold in north-central Texas, whose population hovers around 175 people, depending on who you ask. How small is Harold High? The 2017 graduating class only had six girls and three boys. year's football team, only six players. But that's because Harold is part of a tradition of six-man football, a game played at 250 high schools across the state, in small towns where coaches struggle to fill a roster almost every year. But well, this week's episode is about more than a game, as Liz Merrill brings us the story of death and the bonds of friendship in a small town. It's the story of how a young girl saved a football season. Stick around after the story as Liz joins me to talk about how she first found Harold, Texas, on a map. And now, here's Six Man Forever by Liz Merrill.
1: Six Man Forever In a fading town in rural Texas, one Girl Took the Field in a Struggle to Keep a High School Football Tradition Alive by Elizabeth Merrill People have traveled from all over the world to write stories about Harold, Texas, and aesthetically, it's hard to figure out why. It looks the same as most other stops in north-central Texas, with goats and wind turbines and a 7-Eleven a mile and a half down the road. Sometimes a wild pig or a tornado will break up the monotony, Harold School Superintendent David Sweet was making his 45 second commute one day when he heard a noise and looked down to see a rattlesnake slithering around the wheel of his bike. He grabbed a BB gun, took aim, and that's all he has to say about that snake. We live in the middle of the country, Sweet says. We're at least 30 minutes from a first responder. When you live in the country, you do everything yourself. In 2008, Harold became the first school in the United States to allow its teachers to carry concealed guns in class. And the international news media pounced. CNN, the BBC, pretty much all the big news acronyms, came calling. The crush was so intense that Thweet asked his football coach, who also serves as the principal and athletic director, to help with the phones. Eight years later, Harold found itself in the middle of another national controversy— when it challenged a federal transgender bathroom policy. But now it is summer in rural America, and all is quiet in the old brick building except for the bubbling of Thweet's aquarium. Do you want to talk about science? asks Thweet, who loves to talk and seems disappointed when the answer is no. There's another story to be told in Harold, and it's even better. It's about friendship, death, and... And a football season saved by a 5 foot 2, 135 pound girl. Storefronts don't close for Friday night lights in Harold because there are no storefronts. But for as long as anyone can remember, football has managed to sprout up each fall in a land that in many ways seems infertile. One recent population count lists Harold with 175 inhabitants. Though by Sweet's count, that's an exaggeration. The graduating class of 2017 included six girls and three boys. A nightmare on prom night, and even worse if you're fielding a football team. Harold plays six-man football, which in rural Texas is about survival. The fields are only 80 yards long because the boys who play are generally worn out from lining up on both sides of the ball. Six-man athletes are not behemoths engineered in million-dollar weight rooms. Often they're small and lean because they're constantly running. The Texas towns they're from are barely hanging on to. Places like Spur and Happy. And Harold. My first two years here, we averaged 25 boys for football, says Harold coach Craig Templeton, who has been at the school for more than two decades. But the problem was, if you looked at the girls' side, I think we had seven or eight girls playing volleyball or basketball. It's just a cycle we're in right now. Templeton, who has pictures of John Wayne scattered throughout the walls of his office, never could have imagined back then that the numbers would dwindle so low that it would put football in jeopardy. Or that a shy, diminutive water girl would save the season. But even in small towns, there are hidden surprises. Coach T, that's what everybody calls him, went into the summer of 2016 with only six players no bench. But he wasn't all that worried. He runs his football camps kind of like a track practice, with 60, maybe 70, 40-yard dashes each workout to build the player's stamina. Plus, he had Brady Blakely, one of the area's best players, back for his senior year. They'd get by. But just before camp, one of the boys transferred, and Templeton knew the Hornets would not be able to play the season with five. The ragtags they had, outside of Brady, did little to inspire confidence. Half the team was composed of freshmen, and the battle for the starting quarterback job consisted of Templeton saying, I need somebody to take the snap. Creed Henry, blessed with an awesome name for Texas football, but a body in need of a few hundred donuts, said, I'll do it. Creed's father is a cowboy, so Templeton figured the kid would be tough. Chris Henry was a late bloomer, too but now he's nearly 6'4". In the summertime, Creed gets up around 4.30 each morning to help his dad. Part of his job involves throwing calves to the ground and holding them while they're branded. Creed weighed all of 91 pounds. So yes, Harold was in deep bovine doo-doo. But the prospect of not having football seemed unthinkable. Not just because of history, but because of Brady. He was so devoted to football that he switched from his natural position of offense center to fullback and did not squawk one bit. He loved it because it connected him with his father. Mike Blakely also played football at Harold, a Hornet through and through. In the fall of 2015, Mike sat in a Ford Explorer, parked as close as it could be to the football field. His brain and lungs were full of cancer, and he had to know the end was near. He wanted so badly to get out of that SUV and lean against the fence so he could be closer to his boy. He couldn't talk real good, says Mike's middle son, Josh. He was trying to scream as loud as he could for Brady, but just like a little whisper came out. Brady scored three touchdowns, and I remember my father was happy. He was really happy. A little more than a week later, Mike Blakely was dead and football was about all Brady looked forward to. What would he do without it? Outside of cloning someone, Templeton was running out of options. He walked through Harold's gym one day while the girls' volleyball team was practicing, and jokingly asked whether any of them wanted to play football. Olivia Perez, the team's all-district setter, actually had been pondering that very question. She'd been the student manager and water girl for the football team in past seasons, but more important, she was good friends with Brady. He'd told her that there might not be a football season, and she knew how desperately he wanted to play for his father. Carla Kent, Harold's volleyball coach, knew what Brady was going through. When Kent was in high school, she also lost her father. But here's the deal. The volleyball team was also at the bare minimum of six bodies. So when Olivia told her coach that she wanted to moonlight on the football team, Kent's reaction was pretty much what you'd expect. Are you serious? I knew we had a good chance of winning districts, Kent says. If she got hurt, our season was over. Olivia had a minimal grasp of the game of football. She'd never seen a playbook, let alone been tackled by a boy twice her size. But she'd always liked watching it, and her mind was made up. In a Snapchat conversation with Brady, she told him she'd play, for him, Kent and Templeton would devise a plan to share Olivia's time, and sometimes it resembled a fire drill of uniform changes and venue sprints. She was scared to death when she got out there, Templeton says. You don't hear of kids doing this. It's so unselfish. There was a time, many years ago, when Harold was a boomtown. It was the last western stop on the Fort Worth and Denver City Railway Company, Stores and churches were built, and there were at least 16 saloons. It was the late 1800s. According to the Texas State Historical Association, prospective settlers were offered train rides to Harold and were welcomed into town by a brass band. But then the railroad expanded past Harold, and the town began to shrink. Today, the only music at night is the sounds of trains, cows, critters, and the highway. Templeton and Thweet love the solitude of Harold and the sense of community it provides. Everybody in town will look out for each other, Templeton says. Harold's school serves kindergarten through 12th grade in one building. Many of its students come from neighboring small towns. Thweet says a good number of them live less than ideal lives. He estimates that more than 70% of the student body qualifies for reduced lunches. Olivia's life even before football, was by no means easy. Her dad heads to work around two each morning at the Bar S factory in Altus, which is about an hour away and across the border in Oklahoma. He gets home roughly 14 hours later to help take care of his wife, who suffered a stroke two years ago. Marianne Perez was only in her late 30s when she had the stroke, and doctors say that's rare. She has never been the same. "'Sometimes she'll try to talk to me,' Olivia says. "'But she can't think of what she wants to say.' Marianne Perez's sister, Melinda Vazquez, goes to most of Olivia's games. Vazquez says Olivia practically takes care of herself. She works at the United Grocery Store in nearby Vernon, Texas, and was already juggling volleyball and basketball with school, where she made National Honor Society. Vazquez is thankful her niece has sports, It gives her structure and a distraction. Olivia stays at her aunt's a lot, probably because it feels more normal. She didn't tell a lot of people about her mom's stroke. Her volleyball coach didn't even know about it for a while. Sometimes, Kent says, trying to get her to open up and talk is a challenge. But with Brady, it was easier to share her feelings. She'd been friends with him for a while, but their bond deepened when their parents got sick. Harold played Chilicasse the day before Brady's dad died. The opposing team wore purple socks to honor Mike Blakely, and both squads gathered in a circle to pray. Brady finally lost it outside the locker room and cried on Olivia's shoulder. Sometimes I would be listening to music, and it would get me feeling sad, and I texted Brady at ten or eleven at night, Olivia says. He always knew something was wrong if it was that late, "'Then we'd start talking about what was going on. "'And he was like, "'Keep your head up. "'I'm always here for you.' "'It was just comforting. "'It was easy to spot the girl on the team. "'She was the one with the shoulder pads so big "'they nearly covered her face. "'But Olivia never complained. "'She had a couple of her volleyball teammates "'help her get dressed each game, "'sliding her jersey over the pads. "'It seemed sort of strange.' that a school caught up in a restroom battle now had a girl inhabiting the boys' locker room. But Olivia never paid much attention to Harold's controversies. During home games, she changed in the bathroom or the girls' locker room. On the road, if there was only one place to go, she'd either change first while the rest of the team sat outside the locker room, or they'd change while she waited. Before the first game, she told her Aunt Melinda that she was nervous. You're going to be fine, Vasquez told her. You're strong. You're a tough girl. Templeton did his best to try to protect Olivia on the field. Harold is a run-heavy team, so Templeton would use her as a wide receiver, and on most plays ran away from her. He also hit her on defense and special teams, as much as you can hide someone when you have only six players on the field. There was sort of an unspoken understanding among the local teams that no one would lay a hard tackle on her. Chillicothe's coach took it a step further, according to Olivia. He said if anybody hit me really hard, he was going to make them run, she says. I think that's cool. That was violated just once against rival Northside. Olivia took a hard shot, and Brady was livid. He grabbed the kid by the face mask and threw him down. But the 2016 season wasn't much of a fight, Harold lost his second game of the season by 59 points, then followed it up the next week with a 50-0 loss. Nobody had the luxury of a day off. Brady played one game with a rolled ankle and the flu. He didn't want to complain about it, but his head was throbbing. He was sweating, and he couldn't see clearly. He couldn't play anymore and was taken to the hospital by ambulance. Harold couldn't finish the game. Most of the time my legs were sore, Brady says. Every day after Friday, I'd wake up sore. There were games, I'd be tired, and I'm like, give someone else the ball, please, I'm out of breath. Yes, it sucks getting beat, but you have to fight through it. Despite all the losses, Brady had no regrets. He'll have a Herald team photo, just like his dad, and no one will remember the beatdowns or that the players were any different. They were just like every other school in Texas. They played football. When Mike Blakely told his older sons 19 years ago that he was going to be a father again, they couldn't believe it. Toby and Josh Blakely were adults by then, and Mike was in his 50s. Toby joked that his family was a Jerry Springer episode, complete with nephews older than uncles, and that his dad was Charlie Chaplin. You can't write like this, Toby says, but in the end, things turned out just fine. Brady gave Mike the chance to have sort of a do-over. The father Toby and Josh knew was a welder who worked long hours and spent far too much time on the road. He was strict and detached, but always provided food for the table and clothes on their backs. In some ways, Toby, who has a different mother than Brady, sees himself in his little brother. Toby was also a star football player at a bigger high school and probably could have played in college, but he lacked discipline and focus. I wanted to drink beer, and I wanted to party, Toby says. And let's be honest, I didn't have a lot of direction. Nothing against my parents, my dad. He's a great provider, and he provided for us very, very well, but he wasn't available for decision-making. I relied on my coaches. When Brady came along, Mike became more active, but also more of a pushover. Brady could get away with things Josh and Toby never would have dreamed of. Brady's grandmother, Cynthia, described a childhood in which Mike would indulge the boy with just about anything he wanted, but no one questioned the father's heart. Brady's parents split up when he was young, and Mike took him back to the place he knew, in north-central Texas, and raised him alone. He loved watching the kid play. They spent many days talking about football, When Brady would get out of line, Mike sometimes threatened that he'd call Toby or Josh to deal with him. The family had nicknames for one another. They called Brady Meathead. Toby went on to be a Marine, then a chef. Josh was in the Army, then became a police officer in Vernon. In Mike's final days, he was too sick to care for the boy, so Brady went to live with Josh and his family. He needed that stability. Josh is 38, young enough to play video games and relate, old enough that people mistake him for Brady's father. He worries about Brady. He wants him to go to college, wants him to keep his options open. But Brady is set on joining the Army after high school, and no one can persuade him otherwise. He is mature, but then you want to make sure he's making the right decisions, Josh says. That's why I try to have a finger in on everything he does, because I've lived most of my life. He's been through a lot. Not a lot of people have to go through what he's been through. The class of 2017 graduated on a Friday night in May. A bad storm with a tornado warning rolled through the country the night before, knocking out power in Harold. Help comes slowly sometimes in rural Texas. And the last time the power went out, during an ice storm this past winter, Templeton says, they waited eight days for it to return. By Friday morning, then Friday afternoon, there was still no electricity. So Thweet and Templeton brought in generators to light the gym. It would be a graduation everyone would remember, they figured. Just before the ceremony started, sun gave way to a pounding rain. Earlier in the day, Templeton sat at his desk, thinking about the last time he saw Mike Blakely. It was when Mike was in hospice care, just before he died. Even then, Mike was thinking about this day and the moments he'd miss. Coach T, he told Templeton, you make sure Meathead walks across the stage. And now the day was here, and Templeton was a jangle of emotions, excited for Brady's future, sad to see him go. You become more attached to a kid when he's one of only nine in a class. Brady inherited at least four father figures when Mike died. He had Josh and Toby, and Coach T and Mr. Thweet, They laughed when one of the graduation speeches mentioned Brady's propensity for passing gas in class. They watched when the video montages of the seniors were projected on a wall. There was Brady as a little boy, being a stinker. And there was his father. The graduation ended, and Brady found Olivia and they hugged. She is now a rising senior. Her class consists of three people. Olivia dreams about going to college. She'd be the first in her family to do it. She has three older siblings, and they all work in food service. One of her sisters didn't graduate from high school. She got caught up in working at a restaurant, skipped class, and never finished. Like many kids who go to Harold, Olivia lives in a neighboring town. She's from Vernon, which, at around 10,000 people, is almost a metropolis. She sees the drugs in town— the people stuck in their lives and desperately wanting to get out. Olivia was over at her aunt's house recently when she started to stress out about what she'll do after graduation. She thinks she might want to become a nurse or a veterinarian. Vasquez reassured her, You can be whatever you want to be. It's up to you. Had Brady gone to a bigger school, maybe he'd be thinking about college, too. He was a good six-man player, an explosive fullback, a sturdy lineman, a solid middle linebacker. Really, Brady could play anywhere. But in this story, the most talented kid on the team is a realist. He knows the limitations of small-town football and the limitations of his 190-pound body. He was invited to two All-Star games this summer, including the Greenbelt Bowl, a showcase for small-town players who might otherwise be overlooked for college scholarships. It was an 11-man game, and Brady held his own getting a sack and a couple of tackles. But he had no offers for a full-ride scholarship. Graduation came at a time of big changes for the Blakely family. Josh wants to leave the police force and move to Dallas. He plans to get his master's degree and work in the ministry. I'm kind of burned out, Josh says. The criminals have more rights than the officers do nowadays. You gotta be real careful out there what you do. Brady planned to move in with Toby during the transition. Toby also lives in Dallas and is known as being strict. Toby remembers a time near the end of his dad's life when Mike used to tell him he had to come and watch Brady play. Mike said the way Brady played reminded him of Toby. Both played with a lot of heart. The words made Toby well up with emotion. He never saw his dad as an encourager when he was playing football. Mike always pointed out everything he did wrong, and now Toby was proud to be compared to his brother. Six-man football, he said, requires a certain kind of toughness, especially in Harold. It's about getting beaten up and humbled every week and coming back for more. It's about not having any regrets, even when your efforts don't produce any wins for two seasons. He had perseverance, Toby says, He would not quit, and if you put another kid, a teenager, in that situation, they're more than likely to quit, not Brady. Even though he's a knuckleheaded kid, you could see leadership and perseverance develop because of that dynamic. It's a late June night in Vernon, and Brady pulls into a Brahms fast-food restaurant to meet Olivia. He arrives with some news. He has just been accepted into the Army's military police program and will ship out at the end of August. It's exactly what he wanted, to be in the military like his brothers, to have a purpose. He talks about paying his own bills and going his own way, being a man. He wanted this so badly that he's been lifting weights all summer at a gym in Vernon. Olivia is drinking a shake at Brahms, and Brady is asked whether he wants anything, but he quickly says no, he's in training. He is so excited to ship out that he starts to recite his extensive itinerary, which he seems to have memorized. He wishes he could leave tomorrow. Olivia is sort of jolted by the news. They haven't had a lot of time to talk this summer. He's been traveling. She's been working. Eventually, the subject turns to football. Templeton has only five players again, and Coach T has warned coaches around the area that Harold might not have a team. Olivia tells Brady that she's going to play because Coach T and the team needs her. Brady doesn't think it's a good idea. If you get hit, who's going to come up and protect you, he says. The team is all small. Coach T can't run on the field. All he can do is probably cuss and get kicked out. That would make Harold look bad. They agree to disagree. All of the angst Brady had in the summer of 2016 is gone. And Harold, and football, is in the rearview mirror probably forever. He heads outside to his Mustang and tells Olivia he'll see her in five years. Don't say that, she says, figuring he must be joking. They've been through too much. Two weeks before camp started, on July 27th, Templeton got a text. It was from Creed Henry. Throughout the year, Templeton kept a scale next to his desk, and every week young Creed stepped on that scale and measured his progress— By summertime, he was up to 107 pounds, and Templeton was pumped. But this text was not good news. Creed's father helped him compose it because Creed didn't know exactly what to say. Chris is changing camps on the ranch, moving to a less stressful job, and now the family must move to another county. Creed will be transferring to Crowell, a rival team in Harold's district. I hate to see it, Templeton says. It's not something he's looking forward to doing but family has to do what it has to do. I understand that a hundred percent. The move probably will be better for Creed. Crowell went 11-2 last year and had one of the best passing games in six-man. No more endless beatdowns or worries over whether he'll have a season. But Chris has mixed feelings about his boy switching teams. Harold has a special place in their hearts. They were so small, Chris says, but they sure were determined. Around the same time the news about Creed hit, Templeton found out another player is transferring too. It means Harold most likely will not have a football team this fall. Templeton can't imagine what that will be like. Much of his life has been spent preparing for the next football season. He believes it will be temporary. Harold's eighth grade class is loaded with boys, he says, and they'll be back. If there is no football in 2017, he says, the boys will compete in cross-country. They'll train under the hot sun, run for miles, and get ready for basketball in 2018. They'll do the same thing generations before them have done. They will take what they have and make do.
0: And that was Six Man Forever by Liz Merrill. Liz joins us now on the line. Thank you for being here, Liz.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So this is a really interesting story, and it seems like it's remote in a lot of ways. And I guess to begin with, where did this story start for you?
2: Well, you know, we have a producer at ESPN, uh, Scott Harvest, and he's a super talented producer who has done quite a bit of work on Rural America Uh, We collaborated a few years back on a a Joplin project after the tornado sort of decimated the high school and how sports kind of lived on there. And so there was sort of a background there. Uh, We're both from the Midwest. we He's from Minnesota. I'm from Nebraska. Um, But he had been working on this. He'd sort of come up with this idea last year, uh, and he followed – a group of teams around last year and took some amazing, like documentary-like video, uh, and so we decided at some point this spring that we definitely wanted a digital companion piece to it. Um, the problem was, you know, we didn't see the season, and but that was all right because some of these stories were just so rich with their characters. So Scott just basically gave us several options and kind of a breakdown of of what these schools faced and, and what their backgrounds were. And we really fell in love with the story about Harold and about, you know, two kids basically just kind of fighting through a lot of stuff that most 17, 18 year olds don't have to go through in rural America. It sounded like the perfect story and, and kind of made a few trips out there this summer, and met met the the players, uh, and you know the coach, Coach T, Coach uh, Templeton, the football coach, and uh, just met some very nice people from a very small town, and the story just came together.
0: So for you, in, in working with Scott in this situation. It sounds like there's obviously we we have so much of this at ESPN where you work with different people on different teams. But for you approaching this as as the writer, did you see this about, as a story about this, this game and sort of how it's a little bit unusual from what we mostly associate with football? Or or was it about the characters behind it?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's one of the great things that we do with cross-platforming at ESPN. Is we, there's a lot of dialogue that goes on about... You know, what one medium is going to do and how, what, you know, another medium can do to sort of tell the story that couldn't be told. So like, for example, you know, with um, it, this was initially, I believe was just, was going to be a, a sports center featured, uh, but it was going to be on, there was, I think initially it was just going to be, it was going to be on sports center for, you know, you get like eight minutes a lot of times and that's, if it's a really good piece. And so there's so much you cannot fit into there. And so we really wanted to, I, Scott Scott definitely in his uh, feature got into kind of the more sort of of the, you know, X's and O's or just sort of the of, of six-man football and like, you know, what, what all of that meant. And for ours, we got, we delved way into the people more. You know, uh, we told the story about Olivia and her mom suffering a stroke a few years ago and her hopes and dreams and her fears. Um, And we were also able to elaborate more on Brady's story um, and what he was planning to do and what he was going through. So it was pretty unique in that we were able to sort of take a little bit of a step back because Scott had all this great stuff from the season not only from Harold but from, you know, Balmeray, you know, from several other schools. And we were able to focus on Harold and and really take a deeper dive into these kids' lives after the season. Uh so it, it was it was really it I thought it worked out really well that, you know, it you, you weren't seeing like the same story. You you could if you if you really love the TV piece and wanted to know more about the kids, you could go to .com and and read more about what happened to them and what's going on with them and vice versa. If you wanted to know more about six-man football and what it's like, you know, in other parts of the state, he did a really good job of going to different areas, you know. Uh, Like Balmoray is, like, super far away from Harold, but they face a lot of the same challenges. Um, And so... I thought you know that sometimes you, the piece, the complementary pieces, like which is what we did for this one. It, it's it's when it works out. It's it, it it's great to see how they can complement each other.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Just out of curiosity, logistics wise, how long does it take to get to Harold?
2: Well, <laughs> so it it wasn't as bad as people would think. Like it, I know it sounds like in the middle of nowhere. But it involved flying into Dallas and then driving like two and a half hours north northwest, I believe, uh, to Harold. You know, Harold is like within like forty minutes of Wichita Falls, which is a fairly bigger city. Right. right. Um, and so it wasn't as bad and especially for me it wasn't that bad because I'm you know, I'm kind of based in the middle of the country. Um, I would assume the Balmeray, like I was looking, that's not the reason that we, you know, didn't focus on that story. (laughs) I did look at the map though. And it's like, Whoa, you really got to do some, some driving, but that's not the reason, you know, we were just, we decided to go in the direction of Harold, but like some of those, yeah, they're not easy to get to, but you know, one thing I will say is uh, you kind of wonder how, what kind of response you're going to get when you do, stories about athletes that nobody generally knows. Right, right. Um and I, so I was kind of a little worried about that. I remember talking to Jenna Janovy, uh my editor, who's super talented and uh really uh has a great way of of finding kind of sometimes the story within the story. And um you know, I asked her, I said, I, I wonder how many people are gonna read this just because you know nobody knows who these kids are, and uh, um, I, I was shocked at, at, at the responses we got. I probably had—I mean, I'm still getting emails like almost two weeks later. Uh, I don't think I can't think of another story. I'm sure there's been maybe a handful of them that we've gotten similar response to, but like just all the emails that we received, and they were all like you know uh, some of them were like. So what happened to Olivia? You know, there were people who wanted to donate to help her go to college. Uh, there were just people who wanted to show their kids the story when they're starting to embark upon playing sports. And, and when, you, when you can do something like that, and again, this was all Scott. With Scott's creation, I'm definitely not taking credit for the idea. <laughs> uh, but when you can like do something like that, it's pretty cool. You, you know that like. A, I was yeah. just going to say,
0: but why do you think this connected with people in that way? Where they where they were so touched to reach out to you?
2: Well, I, you know what I, I think that part of it is that you know it's it's a story about you know. Somebody, I think people want to read stuff uh, sometimes, especially now, about like good things that happen in the world. You know, people who are nice to each other and do like heartwarming things. Like I I know that was some of the response. Is like with everything else going on in the world, it's you know it's refreshing to know that there's kids that there's uh, a kid who's going to do that for a friend. You know, the story was about friendship. It was about struggle. Um, and it was about prevailing and, and, you know, people can connect with, with these, with these, uh, with these teenagers, you know, I mean, how many people play high school sports, you know, uh, and these aren't athletes that, you know, you see so many, uh, Gatorade, uh, prep athletes of the year. I mean, that's what we generally write about when we write about high school athletes. We write about the very best of the best, whereas, you know Brady was pretty good in six man, but he was pretty realistic. You know I'm not going to be able to play this after this. I have to play this season. I mean this was one of those stories where these guys, you know, they probably you know athlete, athletically wise, you know these aren't the people. These, kids can connect with these, with these. Uh, I don't want to call them characters, obviously, they're people, but they can connect with these young people because perhaps they were in that same position at some point, you know, that was the way they were as an athlete, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was really surprising. And I try to, I try to reply to emails and I'm still, uh, yeah, I still haven't caught up yet, but (laughs) yeah, it was, it was great.
0: So walk us through how you, you get people like coach Templeton and especially, Olivia and Brady to to and and Brady's family to open up to you. I mean, it, there's a lot of stuff that goes into to talking about the relationship between Olivia and Brady, but also uh you know, Brady losing his father and everything. How how do you get people like that to sort of spend time and telling you about all these things?
2: Well, and you know, the the unique thing about this too was like, okay, so Scott, you know, Scott went in the fall and you know, where Brady was at at that point last fall, it was like losing his father was a lot more fresh. So if you see that, uh, the you know, the video version of Brady's interviews, I mean, he's just devastated. I mean, he breaks down crying. So basically what we're doing is we're saying to them, hey, can you come back and do another interview for ESPN? And not only one interview, but like maybe five. So you know, you're sort of mindful about like kind of taking up so much of their time and, and sort of, you know, having them open their hearts to you again. But I, I think, you know, I would like to hope that it was a positive experience for them just because, you know, they were able to sort of vent in some way. It's like, you know, with Coach Templeton, I mean, a lot of these guys, like Coach Templeton's a really easygoing person um you know he the for him the story kind of wrote itself i mean you go into his office and there's all this old west wild or wallpaper and he's got like these big pictures of john wayne all over his uh office you know the guys like the principal the athletic director the football coach and for all I know, he's the mayor. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> one of those things where it's like he does, it's like with these small towns, it's like you're sort of the jack of all trades. Right. Had a really easygoing personality. You know, I, I would say like uh, Mr. Sweet, the superintendent was definitely, um, you know, he was a pretty animated guy. Uh, and, but he was really giving of his time. You know, he, he certainly feels strongly about a lot of things. You know, what, one thing that we, you know, sort of uh, talked about in the process, you know, Harold, the, the one of the unique things about Harold is that, you know, here's a town of like 100 and some people, but like the international news media has, you know, consistently been swarming that tiny town and done it twice at least because of these, um, you know because of their uh for, for one they were the first school to allow guns, teachers to carry guns in school, and then also because they challenged uh the transgender bathroom uh issue and so uh i, I really wanted to somehow so that the challenge was trying to weave that in and not make it a political story because obviously the story was not political but it was something you sort of had to address.
0: Yeah. Um, And I was curious about that because why did you think that that context was important here?
2: Well, because, uh, I think if most people, there's a lot of people who would look at that and say, "Gee, Harold, that name sounds familiar. And I do think it's part of the town story, you know, right, right. There are certain, it's a red state, you know, um, if you were going to, you know, it's obviously there's, but at the same time, I I think, you know, uh, when those stories came out, there was probably a certain thought process that people had about the people of Harold. And I think, you know, there's maybe to some degree, our story sort of knocked a lot of that down, that these are just people like everybody else that, you know, it's it's i do think in the context of things you had to sort of explain though that this stuff had all happened here absolutely and then there's this other great story that's coming out of here too i mean what are the chances of what well, i mean what are the chances of like such a small place being this sort of hotbed of controversy but then on the flip side of that you've got these kids who are you know, or the, this kid who's doing something for a friend? Um, that's like makes the story that like so many people are interested in, and so many people think it's heartwarming, and so many it, it just it connects with so many people. It's it's kind of a it's a it's a rarity, and it's not even a town. You know, we changed it in the copy so many times. At one point, I called it a hamlet, which uh, uh, Mike Drago, <laughs> one of our very fine editors uh hate that word, yeah. uh, but, but, like, you know, it's, like, because it's not even a town, it's, uh, I don't think, you know, with its numbers, you can't even call it a town, but it, it's, a, it's a very rare community. But then again, it's like so many other communities in this country, you know, anybody who's from a small town or, like, lives in a state, you know, near a bunch of small towns. You drive through towns like that all the time and it just sort of goes to show you that there's sometimes there's some pretty special stories there.
0: Absolutely. Last thing I was wondering about it was actually the last part of the story and how did you come to the ending? I mean, you have you have the section where you sort of wrap things up with Brady and Olivia, they're going in different directions, but it's you you obviously ended at at sort of where things are going to go next for the program. What made you want to end there?
2: Well, that wasn't the ending actually before you know, we had uh, we had sort of put this story to bed like two weeks before it ran because it was going on the, you know, the double truck. Um, you know, it's it's obviously it's the uh, the template. I don't know. I don't want to get too inside baseball here, but with bigger stories, you need to sort of get them done a lot faster, which never works out for me because I'm not like you know uh, someone who gets things done very fast. But anyway. You, so the story was actually, the ending was different because we went, we got done with this in like late July thinking, or like, I don't know, mid or late July, uh, thinking that they were going to have a season. Um, I mean, all signs pointed to that. And then as we're, you know, as we do, we check in with some of the principals before a story runs to make sure everything's still status quo. And Olivia told me, I texted Olivia and she's like, yeah, uh, we're probably not going to have a season. And it's like, Oh, so I was like at Falcon's camp when this happened. And I was kind of like freaking out because I'm, I was like, well, what are we going to do now? Because we did we basically did an entire story on something that happened last year and how this girl saved football in a small town. And they're not even going to have a team this year now. Um, (laughs) So I'm thinking, you know, that's four thousand words down the drain. <laughs> but, uh,
0: she saved actually, football, but she didn't actually.
2: Yeah, but and then and then you could say, well, no, she really didn't. No, <laughs> but you know, the story was still really poignant, and and it's actually sort of a it's it, it ended up being sort of like fitting because this is the way things are in small towns. It's always constantly a struggle you know and um you know it it, it's like when you think about it in some ways this would probably be better for olivia because she can focus solely on volleyball you know um i know she wants to play volleyball at the next level um i don't you know maybe she's maybe this she can you know Actually, be seen more, get, you know, recruiting tapes out and focus the, and not have to worry about possibly getting hurt, you know, playing football and juggling two things. But, you know, I think the story ended well just because um, it's it, it sort of, I mean, it doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to work out. And I, I think the big theme with that is that they really needed to play football last year for Brady. You know, he was the only senior on that team. He'd been through so much. His whole life was football, you know, for him and his dad. And I think that was sort of so. In a in a way, she did save football. She saved that season. You know, she saved she saved it for him, and it was still definitely a story worth telling. And and you know, the stuff the stuff with Creed Henry having to leave. Um, you know, that that stuff happens around there kids have to leave because their parents have to, you know, switch places in a ranch, you know, uh, and, you know, kids want to play football. So now there's a couple of, of players who uh, are now going to train for basketball. And it's sort of like, I think that, I mean, I don't like that they're not having football, but it's sort of, I sort of like the ending in that. I mean, these, these boys are now, going to spend the off-season running cross-country so they can be really good in basketball. It's sort of like taking what you have and making do. And I think that completely sums up sometimes the life in rural America in these towns that are sort of fading but hanging on. Um, And so I I think that ended all right. And, you know, I I would suspect that they're going to have football again, uh, not this season, but next season, because it's all a part of nature where, um, you know, and I had this too. I went to a school that had, I think we had like 17 girls and six boys, which was horrible. Uh, Those were horrible numbers if you ever wanted to like go to Skateland and do the couple skate or whatever. But uh, (laughs) yeah, it's like uh, that's what happened. So there's a bunch of boys coming up now. That are younger and so their football will come back, but I just think it's cool the way, uh, they keep, they keep moving on, you know, they don't sort of wallow in, but then again, you know, it looks so promising, you know, you you wanted Creed Henry to stay there, you know, and lifted 91 pound frame and now he weighs like 110. You're so hopeful that, you know, this kid's going to be the stud quarterback. And he's going to lead this team back to its old prominence from many years ago. And you're all hopeful, and now he's going to a different school. And that's sort of, yeah, that's sort of depressing. But that's sort of life, you know. Uh, And so, I don't know. I I hate that they're not going to have football this year. But, I mean, the ending was, was very much in tune with what goes on in towns like that.
0: Absolutely. Well, Liz Merrill, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: For this story and more, you can go to ESPN.com slash Double Doubletruck is all one word. This episode was created by the team at ESPN Audio and produced by Michael Rabier. The Doubletruck team includes Ryan Graner, Rick Santos, Jenna Janovey, and Eric Neal. We'll be back soon with more stories. Until then, I'm Justin Ellis. Thanks for listening.